Hey there, folks. Before we begin, think to yourself. Have you listened to something new lately? Because on the Simply Scary Podcast Network, there is always something new to try. Don't miss the latest episode of Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, airing on Thursdays. And, of course, don't forget Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, and Drew Blood's Dark Tales. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Join us for a while, won't you? <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 13, Episode 3. I'm your host, Otis Chari, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Seth Paul. Tonight, we'll hear stories of Western wrath, transhumanist terrors, and jinx journalism. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first spine-tingling story. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so... Lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. A tale told of days of old. We turn our attention now to a transcription of the reminiscence of then 98-year-old Colton Trapper gunslinger and ne'er-do-well whose attempts to walk the straight and narrow after a life on the wrong side of the law are put to the test when horror lurks inside even the most pleasant-seeming souls. Without further ado, I present to you The Death of Innocence. The following is transcribed from a collection of reel-to-reel tapes located in the basement of the long-abandoned St. Elizabeth of Hungary Hospital, location redacted. This third recording was recovered from a reel that was rusted and originally assumed to be of too poor of quality to recover. But one of our technicians thought that the tape itself appeared to be in good shape and, if re-spooled, might be worth trying to salvage. It continues a conversation with an unknown staff member the 98-year-old resident by the name of Colton Trapper. While it would normally be by sheer coincidence, considering the circumstances that this third tale, shoved into a box with several other reels of material, chronologically follows the other two, seems to beggar belief. Unknown. Start recording. This is September 2nd, 1962. St. Elizabeth has made an exception this Sunday to allow me to speak with Mr. Trapper again. Colton. But I can oblige, mister. You've never given me your name, have you? Unknown. Last time you told me to look into the name Jerome Bankwell. I reached out to some of my contemporaries, and they're currently looking into it. Colton. Don't look too hard on my account. Not like what you find. Unknown. But you said he'd be able to back up your story. Colton. Didn't say he couldn't, but for some people. The truth is a hard thing to stomach. For instance, if you were as truthful with me as I've been with you, I'm pretty sure I'd have your name by now. Unknown don't trust me, why tell these stories at all? Colton. I'm going to tell somebody. Might as well be you and your recording machine. At least that thing listens without judgment. Judgment is a harsh thing. Unknown. Yes, you certainly ran into your fair share last time, didn't you? Did I not ask you before we finished if you had, shall we say... Amended your ways? Colton. Well, why don't I spin you another yarn? Let you figure out for yourself. By the way, 
you still don't want to give me your name, you could at least let your friend, Mr. Marlborough there, share some of his wealth. I'm feeling a little on edge. You know, I was born at the tail end of the Civil War, so I did not see war on a large scale in my youth, and by the time the big ones happened, I was well beyond my fighting years. Even when I was younger, we called them coffin nails, but we didn't really know what they did exactly, until long after the story I'm telling you today. All I know is, if these were what was going to get me, they're taking way too long to do the job. Speaking of which, what a time I've lived to see, you know? When I was ten years old, indoor plumbing was a luxury few had. Not only is it commonplace, but airplanes? Can't imagine a time without them. I still recall what a fuss it was when the Wright brothers launched their first flight. The world has changed a lot in my lifetime. A lot of it for the good, but it is always bad as well. Does this sound like rambling? You know, it probably does, but the thing is, it's actually got a point. You see, you want to talk to me about me amending my ways, but it's not as simple as all that. Or, well, maybe it is. But we just don't want to accept certain things about good and bad. As far as getting into trouble with the law, the answer, for at least the portion of the story I'm telling you, is no. I kept myself on the straight and narrow for a while. Though, just because I didn't get in trouble regarding a deck of cards being marked or robbing a stagecoach, doesn't mean I didn't have thoughts about punching a few fellows who robbed me the wrong way. But that's just it. The thoughts, never actions. Though that isn't what was said in the Bible. There's so many versions anymore. But you said you're a Christian. Surely you remember the book of Matthew and the line about your thought about adultery is just as good as committing it. That's the way I felt then, and to be honest, I still feel that way today. And speaking of so many versions... Why are there so many, exactly? There's supposed to be one message, and I understand, spreading it out to other languages, but we can't even agree on what a Bible's supposed to say. We've got King James, the Douay Rhymes, and I can see you starting to glaze over. You want me to just talk about the story, don't you? Well, I can, if that's what you want. I'm not telling you stuff just to wander aimlessly. Fine. Let's cut to it, then. I went where the work went once I'd received my pardons. I knew a few people that were heading to Nevada. Even though the silver mines had since dried up, I had no interest in chasing what might be just a hope. The gold rush was a little before my time, but it was recent enough that I need something concrete, something real to keep me afloat. So I worked out jobs on my way back east, meeting a few decent, hard-working folk along the way, until I got to the western edge of Wyoming. There I got back into being a ranch hand, which I'd done for a long time, and knew I could do very well. The place I set up at paid very well. 
Mr. Jacob Simmons, the owner. Took little time ensuring I knew he owned his situation and wealth entirely to God. It wasn't all that surprising when he asked me to accompany him to church one bright Sunday morning. We'd woken to a strong breakfast in the early morning work, and then he and the family plied into their wagon while I sat up front with Paul, their hired driver. The drive to the nearest town took well over an hour, but I was generally surprised with how civilized it was. In a place like Salt Rock, you expected to find cheaper buildings, stuff that would stand up to the desert, but mainly unpainted wooden walls. But here, this place, at the edge where the desert ended and the lowland prairies began, the township of Winthrop Rest had more in common with places further east. It was a real community here, with houses and two-story buildings. There was a general store. There were others along with it, including a genuine gun store, who both repaired and sold high-quality arms, many from reputable places back east and even overseas. Men and women walked the streets in genuine finery, and there appeared to be a distinct lack of ladies who spent time in saloons. Simmons finally had Paul stop at the front of a sizable building with a whitewashed facade and clean straight lines. Reformed Church of Christ read the outside. I will admit it had been a very long time since I had entered a church, voluntarily or otherwise. I'd been raised in a Methodist household myself, for the time I'd been home, though my late brother was far more invested than I could ever hope to be. We went in, took our seats, and waited for the service to begin. I'll admit that it might have been partially because it had been so long that I'd attended. There were things about the service that seemed different to me, beyond simply the power and personality Reverend Gill showed at the pulpit. I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but it would be later that I realized that this, despite both my church and the Reformed tradition's similar break from church all those years ago, they came to their answers about salvation very differently. Yes, see, me talking about the Bible earlier wasn't the rambling you thought it was, did you? Well, my friend, you said you were Christian. Which denomination are you? Because I can bet... Whatever you are, I could find 30 other Christians who would say you were wrong and what you were wrong about and why. You see, I didn't know or understand the whole concept of predestination then. The idea that God was so powerful that even though we have the illusion of free will, we don't actually have it. We don't even realize that we're going up or down because it's already been decided. For me, I could see where there would be comfort in that, knowing that no matter what, your afterlife was planned out for you. It seemed to be a lot less work, especially when it came to me. But as happy and warm as Jacob and his family were, and how pleasant the congregants spoke with us afterward and even shook my hand, I didn't know what they would think if they knew about my past, how irredeemable I must have been. Oddly enough, for all the friendliness I'd been around, 
Jacob did have some reserve of venom that, just like a rattlesnake, he spat only about something that was bothering him, and that was for St. Mary's of the Prairie. St. Mary's was a Catholic church that was on the other side of town. It was nowhere near as populated as Reformed Church of Christ, but it didn't exactly see why Jacob didn't care much for them. You see, I knew there was a split a few centuries ago, and they had their reasons, but it didn't seem like it was something to get so angry over. When Simmons really got rolling about how the Whore of Babylon was starting their service mere minutes after his had ended, I caught a few eye rolls and nods, indicating that while they weren't happy with his open mocking, even if some of them agreed in principle and private, since I was already someone inclined to distrust authority with all I'd encountered, all of this only made me more interested in seeing what was going on over there. After a few weeks of attending with Jacob and his family, I informed him I would not be able to go one morning due to a letter I received regarding an old friend of mine that would be coming to town for a brief period of time. I, of course, had no friends who knew I was out this way, and I doubted they would even visit if they did. But, though he gave a concerned look about my spiritual well-being, he did offer his understanding. One saddled horse ride later into Winthrop Rest, and I was sitting in a pew at St. Mary's. On the one hand, the service itself seemed closer to what I remembered, in structure, in music and readings, except for the whole damn thing being in Latin. People in attendance were just as friendly as at the Reformed Church, the real difference came from the young man who tended to his flock, Father Chenin. He was younger than myself, and if the Reverend Gill had reformed was symbolic of strength and devout leadership, Chenin was the exact opposite. He was humble almost to the point of invisibility, but I noticed he knew every single member by name and probably memorized what they ate for breakfast every day. Clearly, he was not used to visitors, as he came up to me very quickly once the Mass had ended. Welcome, sir. I did not believe I've had the pleasure of meeting you. He held out his hand, and I took it. Oh, no, you have not. Colton Trapper, I work on the Simmons Ranch, thought I'd visit today. Simmons? Yes, I know the family. Good people. Jacob doesn't seem to think much of you. Yeah, no, he wouldn't, Father Channon sighed. You could say I'm sort of a missionary out here, as the area is not exactly known for its classic Catholic heritage. For the most part, we're all tolerant of each other, even if we often joke about the others being heathens. But Jacob must have suffered some hurt many years ago that he doesn't like to speak of. He is very, very sure of his faith, which is admirable. His stubbornness has gotten him into trouble from time to time. I was taken aback by this a little, since other than his talk during that first service, he never struck me as anyone with an axe to grind, and I lived on his ranch. His children were well-behaved, his wife was a genuine blessing, and lucky catch for anyone. That anything could set him off was unusual at best. Well, Father, I can say that hearing that is a surprise. But I can't say I cannot sympathize with him. Not about your church, but about trouble. 
Well, you should have any doubts of your worthiness. I'm free to hear your confession at any time. God is always willing to forgive. Despite his conviction, I personally doubted that. I may have been pardoned, but I didn't think forgiveness was in the cards anytime soon. Uh, maybe another time. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you, but I'm afraid I must be going. I was about to walk out when he placed a hand on my shoulder. As I said before, Father Channon was someone who held himself with very little outward bearing, but the hand was placed so gently that somehow it had more authority than if it were stronger. Mr. Trapper, I understand if you must go, then you must, but for some reason I feel compelled to ask you for assistance if you're inclined to offer. Oh, and what would you need from me? And then he explained about Nicholas Green. Green was a rancher, much like Simmons in his way. He too was a famine and married with several children, though he was known to drink from time to time. He loved his children. When he came to town after having a little too much whiskey in him, he would often be loud, obnoxious, certainly less than a model citizen. But he was still a devout believer and was always first in line to confess when he needed to do it. Father Channon had noticed as of late that Nicholas had been absent from not just Mass, but almost every parish event. Father Channon merely wanted to check in to see if everything was all right. I nodded, taking in every word, and still wondered what Father Channon needed from me. I will admit, Mr. Trapper, that I pray often for Nicholas and hope he changes his ways so that he'll not use the confessional so often. But I do not believe I have the physical strength should I go and see him, and he being under the influence of wicked spirits, so to speak, and I, none of my regulars, have quite the bearing you do. Looking at him again, it, it made sense to me. Father was not sickly, but he had certainly not been a ranch hand at any point in his life, and he even figured uh, I'd be able to lift him over my head if I really wanted to. Not that I did. Priest tossing was not high on my list of goals in life. Are you sure I can go with you? Excellent, thank you. I truly hope it'll be uneventful. However, it'll be a little later on toward dusk because I have a few items that need to be done today. I nodded my agreement, but instead of returning to the ranch, I stayed in town, mostly to avoid having to explain to Jacob what I was doing, spending time with who he probably considered the enemy in a lot of ways. Whatever ongoing feud he had, I still had to leave the job. I did, however, get concerned with what we were going to find going up to the Green Ranch, so I spent a few minutes at the gun shop, as I didn't see the point in bringing my Smith and Wesson with me to the church. I was able to get my hands on something that seemed decent enough, a slightly used Remington 1890, from what I'd heard, not many of these had been made, but when it came to how certain people came in contact with certain types of weaponry, I knew better than to ask questions. Along with a box of cartridges, it was a steal at five dollars, though that also meant that if anything happened to my livelihood, it would make moving anywhere out of town a lot more difficult. Though, I will admit, 
despite as good as the food Chickum's wife cooked up every evening. Spending a few coins on a late afternoon meal for myself at the nearby saloon gave me a sense of freedom I hadn't had in a while. It was getting on toward sunset when Father Shannon came out of his rectory, saddled up his own horse, and asked me to do the same. We rode out of town, and the sun was beginning to dip below the horizon. When we arrived at a sizable expanse of land, complete with barn and small homestead, stashed back away beyond the fence. Crossing the fence line, the priest reached into his saddlebag and held up a small flag, barely visible against the fading light. Uh, what's that for, Father? So he knows we aren't trespassers. I'll share it with you, but he and I have worked out a system that if he sees a blue flag approaching, he'll know it's me, and he'll keep his Winchester at bay. I'd never heard of a system like that before, but as soon as he'd finished, I wondered why I'd never thought of it before. Made a lot of sense, especially out here where there was a lot of land between buildings, a lot to steal, and a lot of weapons to keep the stealing to a minimum. We approached the homestead in peace, though as Father Channon dismounted, I couldn't help but notice two things. One, an odd smell in the air, and two, the lack of even one candle burning inside the house itself. Hold up, Father. Don't go to the door just yet. Something isn't right. He nodded, holding on to the reins of his horse, while I ventured around the corner, heading toward the barn. The barn itself had the door shut and looked clean and tight, like one would expect, except there were cattle out in the nearby field and they definitely weren't alive. I moved closer and the whiff in the air I detected by the house was stronger. The smell of decay, rot, moldering flesh. The cows in the field were in various states of rot, some fresher, some older. The oldest, I suspected, probably close to two or three weeks old. If Father Channon's timeline on when Nicholas stopped showing up was correct. Even outside the stench was awful. But it was not that they were dead. They were slaughtered. Horrifically, violently, by something that had slashed them open, spilling their bellies on the ground, leaving the rest behind. They did appear partially. Most just seemed to be killed. The light was fading further, and suddenly I didn't want to be here anymore. Father Channon had said there was a wife and children here. I may have had my issues with some people, but I would never have forgiven myself if I left any of them to fend for themselves. Father, stay put. We're checking out the barn for a I heard a far-off sound from him that I took as an agreement, then continued on to the barn itself, pulling the Remington from my belt as I did so. The barn door itself was locked, with a thick padlock on the outside. The key would likely either be hidden nearby or inside the house itself, but it was when I went to the other side of the barn to look that I noticed there would be no need for a key. The wall on the far side had a gigantic hole in it, like something large and powerful had smashed right through it from the inside. Timbers were still scattered on the ground. I went inside. 
cursed myself for not bringing a lantern, which Father Channon probably had in his saddlebag. Even in the gloom of the fading day, I could still see a scene of utter chaos. The walls were spattered with darkening blood, possibly only a few days old. More cows, chickens, hogs, all torn to shreds and thrown in tatters around the building. The most interesting thing, though, was the metal chains, thick, strong loops with clasps at the end prisoner manacles, though the manacles themselves have been bent and crushed by massive force. The other ends of the chains appeared to be attached to larger, thicker rings buried in the ground, likely held there with cement. Something had been kept here, something deadly and utterly ferocious. Even though I was only recently attending services again, prayed for the Greens because whatever this was, they probably didn't, or as I hoped, wouldn't, stand a chance. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Ran back to the house, and there I saw Father lighting a lantern just as the last of the natural sunlight vanished. What is it, Colton? I don't know for certain yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm the bearer of bad news. Something has attacked the Greens and all of their livestock. Something that they kept chained in the barn. Shannon raised an eyebrow. Chained in the barn? Why would they have kept something chained in the barn? I don't know. It definitely looks like a wild animal, like a bear. But Nicholas would never have kept a bear on his own. It would have been suicide. He would have just shot it and brought the pelt and meat to town for processing. As the priest kept speaking and trying to reason it out, I became aware of the front window of the residence. Something moved. Something moving in front of the window but something that, due to the gloom, had been there the whole time 
and only now that it shifted and revealed its presence. I ran up the steps to the front porch and gave the door a solid knock. If there had been a lock or bar, it gave way immediately, and I went inside, gun-drawn and at the ready. In the dark, I heard a wheezing combined with a sort of convulsed sobbing. A figure threw itself down and away from the window and scuttled backward, away from the lantern light. I pointed my gun into the darkness where I assumed the figure to be. Stay right where you are. Show yourself or I'll fire. The figure in the darkness laughed or did something very similar to it. It don't matter, son. You can't frighten me or that gun any more than I can frighten myself. Father Channon came in at that moment, holding his lantern high, and while I can't be sure, I can say with great amounts of certainty that he regretted doing it. Inside the house was a slaughterhouse. Torn clothes, mangled bodies, one of them clearly a very young child, barely a toddler. In the midst of it, a man covered in blood, already long, dried, naked, and matted with filth. His eyes were wild, but not with insanity, more of grief and despair. Father Shannon recoiled at the sight, but now I could see him better. I adjusted my aim back at the man on the floor. Who are you? Where's the Green family? Between gags, Father Shannon pointed his free finger. It is the Green family. That's Nicholas. I looked again at the bedraggled corpses that littered this once peaceful room. What? Did you do this? Nicholas held up his hands and pleading in the sobs once again racked his frame. You do not understand. I don't understand. It had come a month ago and I thought I'd killed it. But it's a demon. It passes on. They held me. I thought it was the moon. It was not the only thing that causes it. Now, now... He gazed around the scene before him and he wailed. I could not believe what I was seeing before me. The carnage, the blood, this man. Could he have killed his family? With what? I saw no tools, no guns. Nothing that could have caused this level of destruction. And whatever had happened had thrown him into terminal despair. He looked at me. I've lost all. I am Job. Even Job could throw himself at the mercy of God. I cannot repent of what has happened. Shoot, and do not miss for all of our sakes. Father Chatton, bless his soul, recovered his senses when was trying his best to calm Nicholas down. But I only saw his eyes and knew there was no calming him down. This was a man bent to the breaking point. The joy of eternal peace was all that was keeping him from snapping. Nicholas, in his sorrow and rage, continued to scream at me to pull the trigger, but even then, I just couldn't do it. Not because I didn't want to put the man out of his misery but because it felt wrong to do it under the gaze of a well-meaning priest. Murder was murder, no matter what. It felt worse if he were to watch, like it was some kind of double murder. Of course, things went very differently when he 
stood up and ran at me. And then, when I did fire, it felt much more like self-defense. The shot hit Nicholas somewhere in the stomach, and when it did, he fell back about 15 feet, but he otherwise did not flinch. Looking at me, his expression changed completely. No, no, you needed to finish me in one. Now it will. He did not finish his sentence as he bent over double, shouting in pain. But it was as his screams grew deeper, thicker, that I knew something was very, very wrong. Father, get out of here. Get out of the house and get on your horse. We need to go. No, we can't leave him here like this. Even as he said it, I knew even he didn't believe his own words. Whatever was going on here was not something he was prepared for. Simple prayers would not solve it. Nicholas fell to the floor, and when he looked at me again, his eyes had become dark, but around the edges there was a thick yellow tint, and his mouth was beginning to pull up into a, almost a smile. But in that smile were teeth. They were not human teeth, but sharp, animalistic fangs, and with each passing second, not only were they growing longer and sharper, Nicholas himself had nearly doubled in size and weight. Father Channon raised the lantern, and in that moment, he found the strength to recite the Lord's Prayer. I backed away from Nicholas as he took up a stumbling step closer. Father, I appreciate the sentiment, but right now I don't think it's helping. While I was glad for the backup, he finally took the hint and got to the horse. In the darkness, all I could see were those yellow-black eyes and the screaming that had long since stopped, turning into a snarl, something deep and full of vengeance. I fired again, and though my bullet struck Nicholas in the chest, what came towards me was no longer Nicholas. I fired again and again, and with each shot, he twisted and transformed into a hulking monstrosity. Nothing but claws and teeth and hair and anger. My thoughts drifted back to Salt Rock and the creature that old Joe had called a skinwalker. There were some similarities, to be sure, but this was not a calculating, thinking being that was descending on me. This was nature, an unstoppable force, intent only on killing and maiming without thought, but plenty of feeling. My last chamber clicked. I realized I had neither prayer nor bullets to keep me safe. I backed through the door and pulled it shut behind me, only to remember that not only was the lock broken, but if I'd been able to break it, the thing on the other side would have no problem reducing it to splinters. A piece of wood appeared next to me, wedging itself in the doorframe. I turned to see Father Channon placing it in, and as the door pushed out at us, I realized that despite its obvious strength, whatever Nicholas had become was not as smart as he was either, and was trying to press against the door that opened in the opposite direction. It would not hold for long, but it would at least buy us a few minutes. I looked at our horses, still surprisingly calm despite the noises coming from inside, 
But if that thing came through the door, they would be bolting like crazy. I don't think we can outrun it, Father. No, I agree. I don't think we can fight it either. Your gun did nothing. I took a look at my Remington and thought about the satellite the priest had brought. What do you have in there? Holy water? A light dawned in his eyes. Yes, yes. He ran to the bag and unhooked from his horse. Digging around in it, finally pulling out a hip flask, I was a little surprised to see something so important, something so, well, inappropriate. But I suppose out here, you took whatever you could get on short notice. Here, Colton, what do you need to do? I opened my Remington, dumped out the spent cartridges, pulling out fresh ones from the box in my own pocket. The door shuddered as the creature pounded on the other side, bits of wood already cracking apart, and it wouldn't be long before it broke through. Father Channon opened his flask and, holding six shots in my hand, I hurriedly poured the water over them. You think it'll work, Colton? No idea. It's the only idea I have. The door splintered some more, and a gigantic arm, probably bigger than my torso, threaded its way through and started grabbing at the wood. As I loaded the cartridges into the revolver, I began kicking myself, thinking what good would it do to try and fire wet rounds. Holy water wasn't going to help at all, and it was ridiculous to even try. Thing is... It's easy to ignore thoughts like that when something is after you in the dead of the night. Anything that even looks like hope is something to grab for. I clicked the cylinder into place just as the door burst apart. Just as expected, the horses reared up and bolted away. If we'd been on them at the time, we'd have both been thrown off or something, either our legs or necks broken. I didn't know exactly what had happened to Nicholas, but the luckily nine-foot-tall monstrosity that probably weighed as much as one of our houses that had replaced him was something that I would never want to meet on a dark night. And yet here I was, meeting one on the prairie in the darkest of nights. He took one look at us and gave off something between a howl and a snarl, full of unfettered rage and intent. I fired. The bullet hit it along one side, despite aiming for its chest. I wasn't sure if it was the dark, nerves, some defect which would explain why the gun was being sold, used in the first place, or all three. But where it struck, I could swear I saw a sizzle, and the creature stumbled and clutched at its wounded side. Maybe the holy water wouldn't be a kill shot, but at least it could wound the damn thing. Guess the Lord's with us, eh, Father? Channon just kept reciting Hail Mary's, clutching a cross to his chest, his tone becoming more even and louder as he spoke. Whatever he was doing to keep his courage strong, it was working. Two more shots beast reacted again, but not enough for me to believe I'd hit anything important. It stood at its full height, and though it clutched its wounds, it still didn't appear 
as if I'd done more than slow it down a little. Father Channon, seeing my frustration, stepped forward, holding his crucifix out in front of him. I'm not a trained exorcist, you know, unclean spirit that you hold in this vessel, one of God's precious children. Release him! In the name of the Father, I cast you! I was impressed by his bravery. As the creature lunged at him, burying its teeth into his shoulder, I also emptied my revolver into it once more. I could see the hissing as they struck in the small amounts of blood, but it wasn't working fast enough. Then there was a massive sizzle, and that which had been Nicholas pulled away, moaning in pain. I looked down at the priest and saw his cross, now steaming slightly, and marred by bits of flesh that had stuck to its surface. As it recoiled in pain, I grabbed the cross, a little too roughly than I really needed, and as it clutched at its burnt chest, I placed the item on it again, this time closer to its face. It howled again. I saw the snarl building in its snow, looking to strike again. It was now, or we were both doomed. Raised the crucifix, buried the haft in its chest, striking the heart. Another howl rose, but not one purely animal like, instead, mixing with one of a more human sound. The creature collapsed to the ground, trying weakly to pull the cross from its chest, but its strength appeared to have left it. It fell onto its back, wheezing, trying desperately to stay alive for every gulp of air blood surging from its wound appeared to be fatal enough. As it breathed, it appeared to deflate the evil forces escaping it, leaving it withered and worn, until I realized it was going back to the shape it had been before, Nicholas Green. The crucifix, which in the beast had appeared so small and useless, stuck in his human-sized torso like a sword. His breathing rattled and slowed, and I knew he would be gone soon. Father Channon, clutching at his torn shoulder, came over with his bottle of holy water, took Nicholas's head in his hands. Here, my son, your time of judgment is soon at hand. Do you seek his forgiveness? The dying man nodded. Yes. I pray for all the forgiveness I can. My darling, my babies, and what I've done to them. I waited and watched as Channon completed the ritual, the words unknown to me as he spoke in Latin, offering communion and anointing him with oils. Finally, in words I understood, There, Nicholas, know thy reside with God, and may you go to be with him. Whatever demon possessed you, it has now left you, and you may go in grace. Thank you. I do not deserve it, but I thank you. Nicholas shuddered, and it appeared that with his final blessing, he was ready to let go. I turned away, not wanting to see more. But, Father, I fear I've done you great harm. For the creature that passed its demon onto me, it wounded me in the same way I have harmed you. 
pray it does not enter you. Then he was gone. Father Chan and I looked at each other for some time. And for the first time since I met him, I saw true fear in his eyes. It took until morning, but we were able to bury all the remains we were able to find on the grains. Channon said a few words in remembrance, and then we set off back to town, hoping that our steeds would have found their way back there. And the one bit of luck we'd had in this whole thing, they weren't back in town. But we did find them a few miles away, grazing contentedly, and I was only late, getting back to the Simmons Ranch by a few hours. Naturally, Jacob was upset that his prize ranch hand had disappeared during the night without so much as a word. I apologized and said that the friend I had met involved me with a little too much to drink, and it was safer for me to sleep it off in his rented room, though it did mean I missed sunrise. He seemed to accept the answer, though he did dock me a day's pay. I accepted it without complaint, since I didn't want to make a fuss let him in on what really happened. Things returned to normal for another month, and I remained a loyal attendant at Reformed Church of Christ. But even then, I still tried to reach out to Father Channon when I could. He seemed to withdraw, save for his mass services. But I did meet with him at one point. He and I spoke on friendly terms, but I knew what was on his mind as the bite on his arm which would have left ragged scars from how deep they were, had completely vanished. What will you do now, Father? I've looked into some old stories, and I believe that it would be best if I was restrained somewhere when the next moon comes up. Though, based on what happened with Nicholas, sudden pain would be enough to set it off as well. Will you help me, Colton? Yes, Father, of course. So it was, then. I went to the green homestead and reset the chains so that they might have been of some use again. The trouble, though, was that it was becoming harder and harder to explain why I needed to be away from Simmons. I believed he was suspecting something was up, but the truth is I felt worse lying to his wife and children. I couldn't look at them anymore, I had to admit, without seeing the ruined forms of Green's family and knowing how kind they had been to me. I wish they'd suffered nothing even close to that fate. Then came the time. Channons believed that the cycle of the moon was indeed involved. Beyond that, most of the so-called lore that could be found about these werewolves revolved around the use of belts and salves to bring about a demonic transformation, none of which helped us with what we were dealing with. In the barn, I helped attach the chains, with the knowledge in mind that the sun was setting and we needed to work quickly. Father Shannon asked to be stripped with only a blanket for cover and asked that I watch over him. Should he show any signs of escaping his bonds, to destroy him as quickly as possible. I was prepared for that as well. Though I had my Smith and West on me this time, I kept the Remington as I loaded cartridges of that with the pre-made silver tips. Silver wasn't exactly built for ballistics, 
I wasn't going to ruin my sidearm in case something went wrong. Finally, night fell, and I lit a few candles. When I looked outside into the night sky full of stars, I saw the moon had finally settled in overhead, and from outside, I heard Shannon beginning to struggle. It's time, Colton. Please, I beg of you, keep watch, but do not watch me now. I do not want you to see what the devil wreaks on me. I followed his advice and waited outside as I heard the sounds, drawing me back to that night. Finally, I heard low growls and the cracking, snapping, and heart-rending screams vanished. I returned back inside. While I had been prepared for a monster, what I was not prepared for was, well... Serenity. Channon, like Nicholas, no longer sat in the barn. Unlike Nicholas, the viciousness, the hate, the anger, none of it was present. The hulking beast was not matted or deformed or waiting to tear me limb from limb, but simply sat panting, head tilted forwards toward the floor. It lifted and looked at me. Colton, Words, not growls, not horrors, words. Yes? How am I here? Why? Uh, I don't know. His head hung again. Nem esse ambulavero in medio hombre mortis. Even in Latin, I knew what he was reciting. I left the barn weaving past the fields. We had not been able to do anything about most of the livestock, which still lay exposed to the elements. I could not be anywhere near the smell. I did not know what to do. If he had been a ravenous monster, it would have been simple. But though his body had changed, his mind had not. It made no sense. Why him and not green? I rounded the corner near the homestead, there I saw something I certainly did not expect. Three men on horseback. One had a lantern hanging from the reins of his horse, the others carrying torches. One with a lantern I recognized immediately. Jacob, what are you doing here? I could ask you the same thing, Colton. I may not be classically educated, but I'm not simple. Greens and their troubles aren't limited to their church. We ranchers do get to talking. They've seen you headed out this way to town for weeks now. He hopped down from his horse and motioned for the other two men to stay. There is no need for more secrets between us, Colton. Show me why you are here. Why hide it? He put a roof over my head and treated me well enough, and if he discovered this much... Far be it for me to hide the rest. I took him to the barn and led him inside. Shannon saw us both enter and looked between me and Jacob questioningly. Jacob, for his part, stepped back at the sight but did not collapse or scream or anything else. I turned to the priest. He saw us come. He knew we were here. I turned to Jacob. It is Father Shannon. He sought to hurt no one, so he is here. 
Jacob tilted his head, looking at the creature. This? This is Father Channon? But this is... impossible? Channon raised his head, and I saw tears in his eyes. I'm aside from God. Jacob looked into Channon's large, yellow eyes. He seemed to come to an understanding. Then he reached into his jacket, revealing a revolver, and placed it against the priest's head. He pulled the trigger. Shannon collapsed instantly, his enormous frame, shaking the ground as he fell, unmoving. Jacob, what have you done? You heard him. He was aside from God. He put the revolver away. You still don't understand, do you? Even after all this time, he was not of the elect. God had selected him for damnation. No one who was cursed in that way can possibly be saved. But you heard him. He may have been cursed, but he wasn't some monster. Lies, Colton. Devil is the father of lies. What was Father Channon was no more. He is gone now, and his soul will reside where God chooses it to be. With that, Jacob left the barn. I stayed behind for a moment, watching as the priest lay on the ground, the blood pooling out of his head. A thought struck me, and I bent down. Lifting the shaggy head, I turned it, looking at the bullet and the shine of the metal in the candlelight. Silver. How long? How long had Jacob known? Then I felt my own anger rise. I returned to the homestead where the two other men with torches were waiting, and Jacob was climbing back into the saddle. Come on then, Colton. Let's go back home. We'll have breakfast in the morning, and we can talk about more pleasant things. Why wait, Jacob? Why not talk now? It is late, Colton. Do you know what he did, gentlemen? Your friend here has killed a priest. Killed him in cold blood. Jacob stopped. Used his reins to spin the horse around toward me. You know that's not true, Colton. We have stopped a monster from harming others, and for that we should be thanked. I didn't know who the two other men were. Probably other ranchers, but I had never seen them before this night. It's something nice not to know who somebody was, because it makes certain things easier. They didn't even have time to drop their torches before I drew my Smith & Wesson and put two shots in each. They fell from their horses to the dusty ground and rolled around in agony. Jacob, wild-eyed, have a chance to react before I put a shot into him myself. As he clutched the bullet wound, I pulled him from the saddle, dragging him behind me back to the barn. Colton! Colton, have you lost your mind? What, what are you doing? I said nothing. Not until we had returned to the barn. By the time we arrived, Father Channon was no longer the creature but himself. 
the wound in his head fresh, his eyes wide, but still just as dead. I dropped Jacob harshly against the floor and undid the chains from Channon's wrist. I leaned over Jacob and stared back at me. Whatever he had seen in Channon's eyes before he shot him had probably paled in what he saw in mine. I think I understand God's plan, Jacob. I do. If he chooses who joins him and who doesn't, that's his job, not yours. I didn't manacle him to the floor. Instead, I wrapped the chains around his ankles and bound his wrists against his neck tightly and watched as his breathing became wheezy, made worse by the bullet I'd placed in his lung. And let me tell you something. I may not be the most saintly person in this world, but if we're going to play the game of judge on earth... I proclaim you guilty of executing an innocent man, and I pray you are happy where you are going. The next hour was a blur to me, as at that point my anger had taken full control. I do remember finishing both of the other men with a bullet to the head, and taking their torches back to the barn to set it ablaze. I did not stay to listen to Jacob's screams, but I waited long enough to know he would never make it out alive. I left Winthrop Rest, never to return. As my anger faded, I thought about the Simmons family and how I had left them fatherless, and how in this instance, the coward's way out was best for me. Yes, eventually, suspicion would be placed on the ranch hand who disappeared shortly after the deaths of four local ranchers and a priest. Yes, eventually my name would have a bounty placed back on her. But for a long time, I remained steadfastly justified in my actions. It would be years before I looked back and thought longer on it. A family man who destroyed his loved ones, awash with grief because he could not stop the creature he had become from killing them. A priest nothing but love in his heart for his fellow man, reduced to despair for what he had become, fully aware and awake of his condition, put to death because he existed. Another family man, doing what he thought was best, protecting his family and community from a monster. I had truly believed he had done what he had done because he was not on good terms with the faith he didn't believe, but I could not read mine. What if he was only acting as his conscience told him? But me, I knew exactly what I was doing. I let my anger cloud my judgment. But I was no ravening, mindless beast, nor someone who sought the salvation of lost souls, nor protecting another. I protected no one, and when I left, three men were dead by my hand and there was no excuse other than my own actions. Evil may have entered the community before I arrived, but I can tell you, I had no problem taking it with me when I left. Unknown. And is that the end of your story today? Colton, depends. How many of your cigarettes are left? Unknown. 
You took them all. Colt? That's so. I apologize. Unknown. So this is how I leave you? On the run. Having lost your way yet again. Colton, we do not change overnight. Or at all. How do you know I'm no different today than I was then? Unknown. You haven't shot me, for one. Colton, that's enough evidence for you? You're not dead yet? Unknown. I would still like to hear more. When may I see you again? Colton, I do have more to tell, but maybe no more this week. I need some time for other hobbies. Besides, I prefer to tell my stories to friends. You mind telling me your name yet? Unknown. Really matter to you if I did? Cold. No. What if I did have to kill you? It would be nice to have a name to remember you by. Recording stops. I hope you enjoyed The Death of Innocence by Seth Paul, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Paul. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash P-A-U-L. Anthology, Volume 1, Stories under the name The Dead Canary. Podcasts here, Jack Allen on Amazon. Find them almost anywhere, except where he's supposed to be at any given moment. Thanks again for your support of this show and tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. And leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chungtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Story Time, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. 
Stay tuned as this season is just getting started. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.